From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we make some changes with happiness in mind, and we extend the show to a fourth segment. We start at home with some good Guardians baseball and more shades of brown. We hit the road to talk about the Open, World Cup, and summer hot takes. Then we get an off-the-field double header starting with running kind of ominously in the cinema to review Oppenheimer and finishing with a much more fun segment looking at some new music releases. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Denko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, are you ready to play too? Yeah, let's do it. Double dip time. (laughs) No, I'm too old for this. Bad news, son. (laughs) We are going to get rolling. We'll start at home with our Guardians week cap, our look back at the last week of Guardians baseball. And the guards totally redeemed themselves after that mess in Texas. Guardians offense exploded to take two of three against Pittsburgh team that deserves our empathy. The winning continued as the guards came home to sold out crowds, took two from the Philadelphia Phillies, and it could have been more but for a really strange game on Sunday afternoon. Guards finished the week a game under 500, but three games out of first because the Minnesota Twins have finally taken offense to us saying that they suck all season <laughs> long. So what's your week cap? It's a solid week. You beat you beat the tar out of the Pirates, which they should. They put up tons of runs and won big, then won two close games where – Class A looked really great where you faced their best six hitters uh, two nights in a row. There was some really good pitching against a credible opponent there. And like you had mentioned, over 108,000 people at that stadium over a three-day period. So uh, I think that's a that's a pretty great week, especially when the fans are there for it. Well, going into last week, I wanted four and two. And I did not expect the four and two to go the way it went. I, I really thought we'd sweep the Pirates and be lucky to get one against Philadelphia. I kind of liked the way it went, to be honest. Looking back at it, is uh, you take two or three in both of those series, you were so close to getting all three in either one of those series. The way the game was kind of unfolded towards, especially towards the latter half of the game, it was a week where early on against a a bad Pirates team, the offense just woke up and it looked good. It looked really, really good. Uh, even the game they lost, it wasn't an offensive struggle. They just, the, the pitching kind of gave up towards the end of the game. And then you go into the series against Philadelphia and you win two one-run games, one being one to nothing. And they held the held the Phillies to two hits over the course of that game. So that was that was good to see. My week cap, I'm going to focus on 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 the young, the young arms, man. Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee both gave us ridiculous starts. Both had eight Ks, came out of there giving up almost no hits. I think Allen one hit and Bybee two. And we need that so bad because every time I, uh, every time I open up the news for this guardians team, there's another starter going down. So we're going to get to it. It was young, young guns and winning two series that we needed to, we needed to get four wins that week. So that was my week cap. Get the four any way you can. All in all, it was a nice pick me up from the way I felt after the Texas series ended to start the second half, because I really felt like after they lost those three games and the bad news about the pitching just kept rolling in that we were going to see the end of the guard season. And even though Minnesota keeps winning and, you know, we're actually further behind than we were at the break or even after the Texas series, it still feels good to see them get these wins. 
still feels good to beat a team you should beat and to go toe-to-toe with a good Philadelphia team that has a good lineup and to be able to do that and come away with two wins against that team. Everything feels good this week for the Guardians. Um, I'm very pleased with the wins that they got and the way they went about it. Anyway, Shane Bieber heading to the 60-day IL. McKenzie may be out even longer. Danko's kind of already touched on this a little bit, but thoughts on the pitching this week as the Guardians tape together a rotation and give oxygen to a bullpen. I mean, I was way off last week. I thought maybe Beeb's still going to get dealt, but that's not, you guys are really right. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's will. not happening. <laughs> That'd be um, awesome if we could. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome that these young guys step up and pitch really well. Uh, you, you're, you're getting quality start, not just quality innings right now. You're, you're talking about guys getting quality starts. You know, mostly we're saying the, the benchmark here is five innings and whatever, four innings. And there were games, too, where the, where the bullpen pitched really well. Uh, and then there were games where certain guys did not. But but ultimately, you're going to have to lean on Bybee, Gavin Williams, and, and Logan Allen. Uh, and I don't know who else is in that. You know, I know Curry got that start, but it was really a bullpen. It felt like a bullpen game because I think like yeah. 20 guys pitched in it. If, you, if you're getting two or three quality starts a week, this team can still compete, right? So the, those young guys still got to play out of their out of their mind a little bit because the Twins are only going to get better. I think they're getting two of their players back this week. If they're scoring five-plus runs, it, it makes it better for that staff. You know, there's going to be games where these guys just don't have it or, or they're out early or they can't find their fast, whatever it is. But if it stays like it did this week, I feel real great. <laughs> Should we be expecting two bullpen games a week going forward? Yeah, I think we should. Although, with, with this caveat, I think Xavier Curry is going to slowly get stretched out a little bit. He's basically a, a, a bullpen game starter that's giving you three innings. He gave you three innings twice in that week and pitched phenomenal in those yeah. three innings. Like, really? I, yeah, I think he was he, good. He gave up, like, one hit each time, I think. So if he gets stretched out a little bit, and before you know it, he might be pitching four or five innings, then you technically don't call that a bullpen game. But that remains to be seen. I don't know if that can happen at this stage in the in the season. Maybe. Uh, but if it doesn't, then, yeah, I think you're going to get Xavier Curry making two starts a week, and that's technically a bullpen game, which leads me to, you know, your, your previous question. Like, I don't know if this is – I hope it's sustainable. I don't feel like it is because you're going you're gonna to tear through bullpens in games like they had yesterday where they go to extra innings, and now you're screwed for the next two or three games against – a team like the Royals that we should be beating, we don't have anyone coming out of the pen that's ready to go. So I hate to say it. I think we're looking at two bullpen games a week the rest of this year, and it might, I don't know, just keep us two or three games behind the Twins as we proceed. Sustainability is my issue too. I agree with Chuck that it looks good this week. They got great outings from some of these young guys. They got pretty good bullpen work. We're going to get to it, but I think Class A looked really good all week. But a game like Sunday that goes into extra innings and they use like seven pitchers just screws you for at least the next game back. And like Phil said, even more. And how how long can they keep doing that? How long can they keep dipping down into the minors to pull somebody up like they pull up this Norris guy to pitch tonight and you pitch two innings and he was actually just fine. But how many times can you do that? How many times can you gas the bullpen to win like a competitive extra inning game, which this team is in a lot, you know, or to keep a competitive one run game close, which this team is in more than anybody else. 
I don't know how you keep that going unless you find, I don't know, another young starting pitcher who can consistently give you six innings. I, I mean, how many times can we go to that? Well, in a single season, I, it's just tough. It, it looked good this week, but going forward, I'm just not sure how they're going to be able to sustain that as much depth as this organization has in pitching. It's, it's not endless. They just can't do it forever. And that's, that's my big concern going forward. All right. Happier news. How about our MVG of the week? Our most valuable guard. We'll start where we start so many times. Josh Oppenheimer, Nads Naylor, two home runs, seven RBIs, but he only hit 263 over the last seven days. He may be coming back down to earth. Next one, Josh big balls bell. What? He hit two home runs this week, and he hit 421. Moving over to the mound, Tanner Bybee, 1-0, 1.38 ERA in two starts, 14 Ks in 13 innings. Opponents only batted 159. Last one, Emmanuel Classe, three appearances, two saves, four strikeouts, and he looked really good doing it. So who's your MVG? It should probably go to Bybee, but I have to take advantage of this opportunity. I'm going to give it to Josh Bell. I've been waiting all season. This is it, man. This is it. All that money finally paying off. (laughs) Josh Bell had had the week we thought. I mean, this is even better than what we expected to get out of Josh Bell. Hit over 400 and hitting extra base hits. Uh, That was awesome. Uh, Maybe maybe he can at least the power numbers keep those up because it seems like it seems like of late he's hitting extra base hits more often than not, be it a home run or a double. So we get some guys on ahead of him, then, you know, there's some run production out of the middle of the lineup that we we've been asking for out of that guy. We paid him for it. I didn't, but someone did, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but Josh Bell. Good job, man. MVG for the week. Going the same way for the same reasons. And man, did that ugly ass long swing look real pretty, man. You're paying this guy a lot of money to do that job. And I don't care if a lot of it came against the pirates, it felt good, even though he probably doesn't deserve it. He probably should give it to Bybee, but I'm I'm gonna stick with Bell as well. It just feels right for one week out of how long this season's this nine month season is probably the only <laughs> time he gets it. My only fear with Bell is that it so much of it happened in Pittsburgh where he used to play, and maybe he's just real comfortable hitting there. It's not gonna translate into the rest <laughs> of the season because I, I doubt we get to go back to Pittsburgh because of this new stupid balance schedule. So I'm going with Bybee because we really needed him. He had a great start against the Phillies that they needed every blank inning he threw to win that game. And the pitching is a much bigger concern right now than the offense. So I'm giving it to to Tanner Bybee for settling us down for the week. Let's look ahead to next week. The guards are settling in for a week-long homestand against some of their best friends. The week started tonight with a loss. In the first of three to the Royals, the week closes with four against the White Sox. So seven games total. They've already dropped one today. Over under wins total for the week, three and a half. Even with a loss, I'll, I'll take the over. I think it's it should be another four in two week. These are teams you need to beat, especially since they're in your division and the balance scheduling means you're not going to see them that much longer for the rest of the year. I'm going to tax them though, man. Like I'm saying that, <laughs> but I, I'm t- I'm going to stick with the over. It's it should be a four win week. Yeah, I'm going over. I think they get five wins. It's a seven game week. Ooh, I think. Yeah. Uh, I well, I was hoping Pretty for five spotted wins. Spotted them a loss too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I'm I, hey, all I have to do is get the four. I took the yeah. over. I'm just I'm just you know 
explaining that going into this week, I was like, here we go. This is your five and two week, except the fact that you're playing seven out of seven days and we don't have any pitching depth. So right. does that mean, does that mean <laughs> we have three bullpen games in seven days here? Like, I don't know, man. Um, I'll remain hopeful that they get five against these guys, but a four win week, like Chuck said, would be just fine. Before they lost tonight, the line was four and a half. Yeah. And they lost tonight, and I couldn't in good conscience keep it at oh, four and a half. No. That would have been a little bit too easy. So uh, I'm going over, though, too. I, I still feel like they can get these last two against the Royals and then split with the White Sox at least, if not more. It's nice that all these games are at home, and that hopefully gives them a bit of an edge. And hopefully, in part, that edge comes from the fans continuing to show up the way they have this year. I think at some point, that's a whole different topic for us to talk about is why attendance has been so great this year compared to to some of the last couple of years so we'll see but keep it going guards keep it going fans keep it going everybody just keep it going let's go guards <laughs> moving on 13 shades of brown our 13 week preview of the browns upcoming 2023 season and we've talked about this a lot looking back to last year the defense was not exactly the manhattan project joe woods was not exactly Jay Robert. The defense last year, 18th in total yards allowed, 22nd in turnovers, 28th in passing yards allowed, and negative 57.92 in expected points contributed by defense. Whatever that means, but it doesn't wow. sound very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so one of their biggest moves in the offseason was bringing in Jim Schwartz to coach the defense. Schwartz started his NFL coaching career in Cleveland under Bill Belichick, had a run with the Lions as their head coach. Most significantly of late, he was a defensive coordinator when the Philadelphia Eagles won their Super Bowl. What do you think about this hire for the Browns? I think it's great. Um, here's a guy that he's been a defensive guy, obviously, his entire career. He has head coaching experience, so that leadership part of it on that side of the ball that I think we need, I know we need because I'm, I'm not sold on Stefanski being the overall CEO of this football team. Uh, you know, he, he's just, he seems offensive focused and that's fine. So we need that guy on the defensive side and that hopefully is Jim Schwartz. Uh, there was some, I think it was Denzel Ward was quoted this week saying uh, they were asking about the first few days and <clears throat> without throwing anyone under the bus, he basically said, it's nice to have him, a coach hold everyone accountable, regardless of status on the team where they're out there and he, he stops practice, calls them out on their mistakes right away, works with them that made me think like, was that not going on before? Like what, what, <laughs> like why, oh, man, why was it to hear about before? all the things <laughs> yeah. that weren't going on before? Yeah. We never talked about coverage. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. A minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Communication between the defensive. Yeah. Backfield. yeah. So anyway, I, I think it's great. This it's on paper. We haven't played a snap of a football game yet. I'll give this a slight nudge above. Everything is fine. Everything's good. <laughs> Everything is good. <laughs> When they got him, I loved it because it seemed like he was the best guy available to address the biggest glaring need on this team. And that was coaching up a defense that should have been more thin in certain position groups, but should have been more talented than they were. There's a lot of money wrapped up on that defense, whether it's in the secondary or on the line. Everything about this guy seems okay. 
I'm always going to be a fan of somebody who tries to fight another coach and runs after him after a handshake. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but, but ultimately, I like the fact that he has real experience, not only as a head coach, but a, a Super Bowl defensive coordinator uh, and a guy that, that players seem to like. So the fact that Phil said he's calling guys out, that makes me feel good because I'm sure, you know, like any level of sports Guys get away with shit. I don't want I don't want that to happen here. I hope I hope he focuses this defense in because it's the one unit that can benefit. Well, maybe special teams wasn't all that great either, but that, that could <laughs> that could benefit and make a, a bigger leap uh than we expect. So I was all for when they when they signed Schwartz. What's the most important thing you think he can do for this defense? Is adjustments the right word? that's a good word i I know we bitched that's a really great word yeah (laughs) it was not in the dictionary last year i I know we bitched about that a lot hopefully it's it's that or or somebody who game plans a little better or somebody who gets the best out of guys who can give you a little more uh that we haven't seen so far i mean they, they they readjusted the roster defensively uh to give him the tools so so hopefully the the adjustment and just getting the best you can out of those players that they signed so the best thing you could do for this defense, I, I like adjustment. I, I'll, I'll use another A word, I guess. Uh, accountability. Oh. Asshole. He could be an asshole. <laughs> if that's what it takes, he could be an asshole. Um, accountability. Like I, how many times, well, I know two very specific occurrences yeah. where the Browns lost a game on a 75 yard bomb because our defensive backs weren't on the same page. So can he at least get this? What again on paper looks like a much improved talented defensive squad on the same page so everyone knows where their teammates supposed to be and everyone does their job so if that's accountability there we go and two more wins on the on last year's schedule and uh they're they they'd be in the playoffs right so that's what i want to see accountability am i remembering correctly that they they lost a game like that late to the jets and somebody's kids were like hanging out behind Stefanski while the game was still going on. And it was Joe Flacco quarterbacking the jets Did all that happened in one game. It's like a fever nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like that did happen. Yeah. The jets game. Uh, yeah. They it's gave hilarious. two scores in 13 seconds or some yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, I think this kind of touches on what you're both saying, but maybe a little bit to what Chuck is saying that it, I don't know. Last year felt like, there was talent on defense and Joe Woods just could never get it together. What I'd like to see is Schwartz get value from all of these pieces, from all of these players. I want some clarity on, was it Joe Woods fault last year or were these players that we thought were good, just not very fucking good. And so that's, I think the most important thing, get value and get results from the talent that's on this roster because I think if you look at we've been we say it all the time on paper this Browns roster looks really really good even on the defensive side like maybe linebackers a question but everywhere else there's a lot of good football players at least we think there's a lot of good football players and that's what I want to see get the best from these guys get that defense to play to the level that the talent and the money indicates it should That would be the biggest thing I think he could do. Go Browns. Everything going great. It's still July. It's still the best time (laughs) of the year to be a Browns fan. And fellas, we are going to take our first break. We're going to come back. We're going to hit the road, talk some golf and some soccer and some other stuff.
Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. We'll head out on the road, and let's start across the pond with the Open Championship. Royal Liverpool did not disappoint as an interesting weekend of golf unfolded until the winner ruined it by not making any mistakes in the final round. The day one leader was a 6'8 amateur whose name sounded like Leprechaun. He faded pretty quickly on day two as Brian Harmon scorched the front nine and held on for the day two lead. Harmon struggled out of the gate on day three, but found the stroke and held a five-stroke lead in the final round where he never wavered, bringing in a pretty dull win. Harmon won by six, going away at 13 under. Brian Harmon is your open champion for 2023. Fellas, let's get to know Brian Harmon a little bit. Which of these stats about him is not true? Going into the week, his world ranking was in the top 30. Next one, his last win in any tournament was in 2017. Next one, his wife, Kelly Van Slyke's uncle, is baseball legend Andy Van Slyke. Last one, Brian Harmon is only five foot seven. Which of those is not true? Oh, man. There's a few I hope are true. So I'm going to go with the uh, he has not won anything since 2017 is not true. Well, he's like Rudy. He's five foot nothing, 100 nothing. He's definitely five, seven, like 150 yeah, yeah. pounds. I thought he was ranked. Yeah, Defensive. I thought he was ranked <laughs> man, top 30, though. That's I might say that one's not true, but I'm probably I'm always wrong with these. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he wasn't ranked in the top 30. You're both wrong. He was ranked 26th going into the tournament. The last time he won was in 2017, and he is five foot seven. His Can wife, however, is best I can tell, <laughs> not married or not related oh, in any man. way to the baseball legend Andy Vance. Like, I know, it's the <laughs> one you want to be true the most. All right, so we now have all four majors for 2023 in the books, all four with different winners. Does golf have a dominant player right now? No, we have guys who are playing really well. We say that a lot. We talk, hey, they're playing really well. Uh, but there is no dominant player, and there has not been since Tiger Woods and probably will not be unless somebody comes out of nowhere in the next 10 years, some amateur who's just an absolute stud. It's not like the NFL. I don't think there's parity in golf like there is in the NFL. Uh, but they're just there's a bunch of guys who play really good golf. And anybody can win a tournament, especially a major or this guy. That's amazing that he's actually a top 30 golf. I had no idea what yeah. this guy's name was before this weekend. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I don't think there's any, there's guys who play really well. Like John Rahm had a really good run in majors, I think. And most of these guys do who you expect to have them. And, but somebody who's just going to dominate all the majors or win multiple tournaments throughout the year. I don't think that happens anymore. I think you're right. Like Rahm recently had a run. Before that, Kepka had a little yeah. run. Uh, and then you kind of got to go a bit back. You're going all the way to Spieth. And that was almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, no, there's no dominant player, um, which I think for fans of golf, this is good, right? There's a lot of good players, a lot of young players that are playing good golf. They might go on a, a little bit of a run, like you mentioned, um, but there is no one dominant player. So where there's not good is for the casual fan like myself because am i turning in <laughs> am i tuning in i should say week in and week out to watch you know brian Harmon win a major no <laughs> no i'm not no no, no disrespect to brian Harmon. Right, no no, right? no good job brian Harmon. i mean excellent job um but that said like that's what i mean like i think for the sport of golf this is not gonna this is not gonna bring new fans to the to the tv it's gonna keep your golf fans 
because it's exciting, right? That's parody. And and we talked about this with baseball too. We're three baseball fans. So we like some of the baseball purist kind of thing, but that's not bringing new fans to the table. So that's where golf could be in trouble. But that said, I mean, how many dominant players, like truly dominant players have existed in our lifetime? Tiger Woods? I mean, before that, I mean, obviously, you know, there were that their careers were over before we knew what golf was, you know, if it be Palmer or whoever, but Tiger Woods, that's it. That's the list. So I don't know if it's realistic to think that you'd even get a dominant guy in that sport. I think the the reason why it's hard for people our age to kind of wrap our heads around this is because we grew up with Tiger. Yeah. You know, from the time we were like sophomores in college, I think it was when he went pro. So he's, he's been there and has been the standard bearer and he was dominant. He could go out and win two majors every year and six other tournaments. And you wouldn't even blink about it. It was just like what he did. And now that he's gone, it settles into this kind of predictable pattern of, you know, one guy comes in, has a big year, maybe wins a major, maybe wins two, wins some other tournaments, maybe wins the FedEx thing at the end or something like that. But there's nobody who you go day in and day out and say, this guy's got it. And I think we kind of agree. We were talking last week when we were looking at the open and talking about how maybe Shoffley's the guy. We said he's having statistically an amazing year. He's just not finding a way to win tournaments. And he was like five over on Saturday, you know, like he had no shot whatsoever to win it. And that's just, I think what golf is, man, it's such a damn hard game that it's unusual that anybody puts together something like Tiger. You're probably thinking of three names. It's Tiger, it's Jack and, and Arnie, and that's it. None of those guys are walking in the clubhouse for the next PGA tournament or the next live tournament or the next live flash mob, (laughs) but moving on, why don't we talk a little women's world cup? The tournament is in full swing after a full weekend of games and already starting a full week. Team USA won three to nothing over Vietnam, but the mainstream media called the ass kicking sloppy. So fake news. Or is Team USA fake good, Chuck? <laughs> I mean, I'll say fake news. By the way, speaking of fake news, Donald Trump will be in Erie on Saturday if you guys would Ooh. like to come up. <laughs> All right. Fake news. Like, I watched most of that game. They Maybe a little sloppy, but it's it's the first game of, of playing or round robin or whatever, group play, match play, whatever the f*** it is. They're going to be just fine. Uh, so fake news. It is fake news. I mean, the team is dominant. It, it's one of those games that, you look at it, I, I watched it and it was, it should have been like nine or 10 to nothing. And you're almost glad it wasn't for the sake of the Vietnamese players, right? Like you're almost glad it wasn't. I mean, they, they never even had the ball on their offensive side. Is it a Jane field. Fonda down here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like, you don't want, like, like it, it would have been bad, right? Like this morning was like 32 shots on goal to zero, 32 shots on goal to zero. Yeah. They're dominant. They just need, that that's a good that's a good uh intro to pool play for that that dominant US team. I agree 100% fake news. Like what did you need? You needed to win 5 nothing to think they did a good job. They went out there and they did what they were supposed to do. They shut out and and beat up an inferior team. Team USA just fine in my mind. Over the weekend, most exciting 0-0 draw. Canada versus Nigeria or France versus Jamaica? <laughs> Oh man, most exciting nil-nil draw. I'm gonna go France versus Jamaica. 
I have no reason. <laughs> what was the other one? The Canadians versus who? Nigeria. Yeah, that one, because Phil went the other way. Yeah, why not, right? <laughs> uh, I guess I'll go with Canada versus Nigeria because Obisanya didn't get it on the board for oh. the Nigerian national team there. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Moving on, let's look ahead to this week and the Chuck's Choice Game of the Week. Ooh. Team USA versus Chuck's favorite team, the <laughs> Netherlands. Scale of one to five. One being the Netherlands national dish, Stampot. Potatoes mashed with veggies and typically topped with smoked sausage. Five being no food because no dish has ever been declared the American national dish. Who's winning this one? I can't follow the scale because yeah, I got, me neither. I, I I got no lost idea. in that. Sounds good until you put sausage on top of it. it sounded like shepherd's smoked pie sausage. until it was, yeah, until it was smoked sausage. Uh, so one good, five bad. Which one is it? Well, one is Netherlands, five is US. U.S. five as much as I enjoy the the Netherlands, uh, mostly the male team, uh, but I think team again team. Yeah, it's five out of five. USA. I go with a five two, and I think we all know that like the American national dish has got to be like the cheeseburger, right? Yes, absolutely. You would think, right? Yeah, cheese- yeah. No, I think that's no. maybe a hot dog's in there too, but I don't know that chestnut guys ruin those anyway. <laughs> I'm on Team USA, too. I'm actually looking forward to watching that game Wednesday night. I think that'll be some fun soccer time. Maybe I'll get to see a goal. Moving on to our summer hot shots, our hot takes from around the sports world. ESPN is in preliminary discussions to have the NFL, NBA, or Major League Baseball buy an equity stake in the company. Thoughts? Ah, So if one major league, so to speak, buys equity stock in that company are we just going to see nothing but high i mean it's almost like nfl already has it right like i'm watching the crawl as we're recording the show and some of the most ridiculous topics are the headlines because it's the nfl like running backs had a zoom meeting today great (laughs) you know that's great we're gonna get to it thank you sorry sorry (laughs) Um, but so i guess nfl recently bought stock in this show too (laughs) yeah well that's fine nfl is king but you know, yeah, that's kind of weird, right? Like that's, if you're a, a network that is supposed to report on all sports, but one of the sports owns part of you, are you really like, eh, ah, ah, not great, not great. It's almost a conflict of interest. And if they're going to do that, they should sell it, part of it to DraftKings or, 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 or some betting site, because really that's what most of the focus is starting to become anyway. So wh- so why not do that? I, I wouldn't be into that because it, it's Kind of like when they were leading with WNBA highlights. What happens if one of these leagues buy it? That that's what you're going to get. Obviously, it's going to be seventy percent of whatever that league's doing. And uh, especially after they just cleaned house on a lot of their talent, yeah, uh, yeah. that doesn't make a lot of sense for me. For this is a lot like letting a political party buy a news station. The Democratic National Party buys CNN, or the Republican National Party buys fox it seems strange to be ostensibly a news network owned by the people that you're covering that seems really weird to me uh, and i understand espn's a little bit different than a news channel although sports center remains the flagship of the network and it is absolutely a news show i don't know this seems really shitty uh, espn <laughs> must be running out of ideas to make money or something i don't know anyway next one 
NFL running backs, including Nick Chubb, held a Zoom meeting to discuss the status of the running back position in the NFL. Are running backs about to join writers and actors on strike? <laughs> no. No, that, that would have been a really quick Zoom meeting. It would be like, hey, we're screwed. Because there's always going to be somebody else who will step in and, and, and take that spot or take 700 grand or whatever it's going to be. Yes, that position group has been poo-pooed for the last five plus years and guys don't get drafted that high unless they're kind of generational dudes in the first round like it one's what's his name the guy from the giants last running back drafted in top yeah and and he's even struggling to get a contract and josh jacobs is struggling to contract it feels like the nfl moves in cycles so I, i assume at some point the running back will make a return and get paid the way they should be but a zoom meeting like, we're on a fucking Zoom meeting doing this bullshit. And you guys are all meeting? Just maybe just wait it out. I understand they're underpaid or undervalued, but come on, man. What are you going to do? Pass first lead. Yeah, I, I was glad to find out it was a Zoom meeting because at first I'm like, fuck, is Nick Chubb not in camp? Or what are you doing? Like, get in the camp. Like, come on. So I'm glad he could just log on from his locker uh, in, in the Greenbrier and, and continue with practice. But I don't know. Like, this is are the running backs going to form their own union? So there's a player's union and there's a position union. Wait for the kickers and punters on their zoom meeting next. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it's unfortunate, but it is, it's the way the game is going. Like your position isn't what it was when Earl Campbell toted the ball or even Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders, right? Like there, it just isn't yeah. um, deal with it. I don't know. Learn to catch a ball and run like Tyreek Hill. <laughs> wow. Phil's not nearly as empathetic for the running back as he was for Team Vietnam. <laughs> well, yeah, because they were going to – never mind. I don't even get into it. No, I think Nick Chubb made a really intelligent point when they were, he was asked about this that it's tough to be a running back because the more success you have, the more it hurts you in the future because the more carries you get you know, and the more yards you rack up, the more it devalues you two years down the road. And I think he's an interesting guy to bring it up because I would say the Browns have been really careful with their use of Nick Chubb all the time, whereas I don't think the Giants were with Saquon. And, and there's other guys in the league who you you can see getting a ton of carries that that aren't maybe being treated as well as Chubb is in Cleveland. But it's an interesting thing. I mean, there's just – I don't know how you ever do anything about it. The, the position is valued the way the position is valued. It's a, like you're actually – 100% right. It's a pass-first league. That's just the way it goes. And so that position is just not going to be worth as much. Somebody who plays on an NFL team has to not make that much money. If the quarterbacks are making a ton of money, <laughs> defensive ends are making a ton of money, offensive linemen are making a ton of money, wide receivers are making – somebody has to not make that much money besides just the kicker and the punter. And it, unfortunately, all that's left is, is the running backs. But anyway, a little more NFL – NFL owners this week approved the $6 billion sale of the commanders. And on the same day, find Dan Snyder 60 million for all sorts of terrible stuff that he did scale of one to five, one being like a glove five being when baggy shorts went too far in the nineties. How fitting is this end for Snyder? <laughs> I'll put it. I mean, I mean, I put it at a one for from Dan Snyder's perspective. I mean, he made six billion and got fined sixty million. Like, all right, see ya. I'm out. Yeah, wouldn't you never pay a penny of that? Like, I, <laughs> yeah, come get it. Late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll put it at a one though. 
But yeah, he's. N- I would never pay a cent of that fine. I like the way Chuck is thinking, man. I'm at a one, two. I've got six billion dollars to pay lawyers to fight with you over 60 million come and get me (laughs) i'm gonna write this from a checking account that doesn't have any money in it anymore and you can come find me after that (laughs) fellas with that we are going to close this segment take a break but not our final break come back for our first off the field segment Welcome back, fellas, to our third segment, our first in our off-the-field doubleheader. We are going back-to-back. Welcome to From the Land, Running in the Cinema. This week, our review of Oppenheimer. As always, spoilers are coming. Oppenheimer is the Christopher Nolan epic about J. Robert Oppenheimer, the creation of the atom bomb, and the fallout. The movie brought in about $85 million in the first weekend, which put it a distant second to Barbie, but actually ahead of the first three days for Mission Impossible this summer. We will start here, scale of one to five. One being withering regret and sadness, five being reading Sanskrit while having sex. How would you describe the mood of this one? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was one? Was that withering regret and sadness? Put it at, I'm going to put it at a two, only because of the way I had to watch it. I don't know if I fully got the, the experience like you guys got in the theater, but still too. Man, this is uh, definitely toward the, the withering regret and sadness end of that scale. I, I might go as far as give it a one. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like the, you, that was the tone of this movie for the, for the majority of the movie outside of the Sanskrit sex scene and, and those kind of things. But yeah, man, it, it, and it was really good. It was really well done, even though you knew going in, at least I did, like people should know going in, you're not leaving the theater feeling good. This is not a feel good yeah. movie. This yeah. is not Barbie or mission impossible. Maybe I'll 1.25. Cause there was a little bit of levity throughout the three hours, like one and a half minutes of it. It's a one. This movie is about <laughs> nothing, but like regret and like bone crushing yeah. sadness. And there's not a lot of happiness that you can see in this movie. It is absolutely a Christopher Nolan movie. It is long. It is artistic. It is visually impressive. It is character driven. Was there in your mind a quintessential Christopher Nolan moment in this movie? You know what? I don't know that there was a moment. I I think what felt Christopher Nolan-esque to me beyond just the length of the film was, was the way it was filmed. And if you start, and I've, I've clearly, we've only seen it once. I'd like to maybe watch it again, but all the scenes that were in present were in black and white and the scenes in the past were in full color. So that's cool. Like he kind of flipped the script on that. And then when, whenever Oppenheimer kind of fell into his trance of just the, the enormity of the destruction that he was going to cause or did cause like how the, how the, how the um, audio would just shut off. It was complete silence and very uncomfortable and then massive kind of explosive noise following that. So the, the way he put together visually and, and audibly, I guess, was very Christopher Nolan. So I don't know that it was one moment because that happened many times throughout the movie. Yeah, Phil, Phil had on, hit on a couple. The score too. Nolan's movies always have fantastic scores that seem to play underneath the entire film. This did that. To me, one of the most Nolan things was, without giving it away, is the actual reveal of the conversation 
that Oppenheimer has yeah. with Albert yeah. Einstein. Yeah, you're right. Where you hear it and it's in and not like it's some huge twist or anything, you know, like it's it's not the prestige, it's nothing like, but but that's really that's really Nolan-esque that like the setups there, it's in the back of your mind the entire movie. Like, what did they really they bring it to the forefront and then you finally get the payoff and you're like, oh yeah, that kind of sums up the entire film very quickly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I think the way he he captures like the like phil's saying like the burden when oppenheimer is giving the speech to like the entire los alamos town after the test is successful and they're in like it looks like it's a gym or it's like a dining hall or something with basketball hoops i don't know exactly what they are but they've got like stands it's it's like being in like an old school like hoosiers-esque like high school gym Mm -hmm. and the people are cheering but you can that you feel that rumble behind him as he's trying to at once like thank these people and deal with like all of the pressure and the burden of what has happened that i thought was the most like christopher nolan thing of the that that scene right there to me was the one that really hit home god this is one of his movies and it's a really powerful scene to go from pain to excitement the way he does through that scene with the people who are there is is really really cool how would the manhattan project have gone differently if instead of oppenheimer kendall roy had been in charge <laughs> god <laughs> oh, man <laughs> there'd be a lot of buzzwords for the time period there'd be no substance to a lot of the verbiage but ex- results expected and then somehow it would fall short of any expectation that anyone had. We've lost World War II if Kendall Roy was in charge yes. of the Manhattan Project. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> it would have gone so differently that no deadline would have been met. They would have always stopped. To, Can we have a five-minute think? And a five-minute think would come into <laughs> like a five-month delay and all this, all the science end of it. And then when they're supposed to hit the button, Kendall's on some bender in the middle of the desert with you know, peyote dripping out of his mouth. It would have been awful. And then we would have lost the war. Peyote. See the size of that chicken? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the cast of this movie is incredible. It is deep. Uh, there are a lot of fantastic people in it. Who was, for you, the best cameo? Jack Quaid from The Boys played a scientist. Matthew Modine from Gross Anatomy and Memphis Bell also played a scientist. Remy Malik from the movie about Queen also played a scientist. Gary Oldman from an episode of Knott's Landing in 1989 and more recently True True Romance, he shows up to play President Truman. Who was who was the best cameo of those? Or if you have another one, because there were a ton, who was the best cameo in the movie? Of that list, I like Gary Oldman uh, because he he does this. He shows up in movies in like ridiculous makeup. Where like this, that could be anybody. Like no part of this guy looks like Gary Oldman, right? Or sounds like Gary Oldman, but he's just that phenomenal of an actor. And I love that he takes a role that, I mean, how long was he on screen? Maybe two minutes, maybe, maybe, you know, at most. And one of the best lines, spoiler alert, as, as Oppenheimer's leaving the Oval Office, like, don't let that crybaby back in here. That's fantastic. (laughs) Like, yeah. So I like Gary Oldman's cameo. Same. 
I'm a huge Gary Oldman fan. I think he's one of the greatest actors of our generation who doesn't get enough credit. Not only because he does really great stuff, but because he also did like Air Force One or whatever. You know, like he's just always good and maximizes his minutes on the screen. And what Phil is saying, I could paraphrase, basically, get that out of here was probably one of my favorite parts yeah. of the movie yeah. but i knew it was like you you like, is that gary is that gary oldman yeah it is gary yeah. oldman loved it I'm, I'm a huge fan of that guy so he's my favorite cameo three for three he was mine too all of them were pretty great i mean like we said th- this was an amazing cast and i almost wonder if being in a christopher nolan movie has now reached the same level or as close to the same level as being in like a scorsese movie or tarantino you know is he one of those guys where they could anybody will just come in for the opportunity to be a part of it and just play a part for two minutes of the movie you know what i mean like it's it's become that big a deal but uh gary oldman was pretty great was this movie about the making of the atomic bomb was it about ego was it about regret was it about all three what was at the center of what Christopher Nolan made this movie about the Trojan horses. You, you think it's about this race to, to make this bomb, but ultimately it's about the, the regret of the power and what's going to happen because of it. And that became, that becomes more apparent as the, as the film moves on. But by, by the end of it, you think, Jesus, like however many years ago this happened long before we walked this earth, like there was only a few people who went, and we shouldn't fuck do it. Like th- this is a terrible yeah. thing to do, and we're doing it anyway, uh, and we're celebrating the fact that we've we've done it. But then instantly, only a few people feel the regret. So to me, that's it's about the consequence of the power uh, that these men created. I'm having a hard time separating the three of them. I think in some part, of course, it's about all three of those things, right? Like it it, it is clearly the ego of these upper echelon physicists in the world who have crossed paths. They happen to sit on different sides of the world war that was going on, but they all learned together or came up together and these kind of things and had, had relationships and interactions with each other. And it was definitely about the ego because they, it was the cross between the theory and the practical physicists that said, we, we can't do this. We can do this. And they did it. The scientists stepped back and said, okay, now we've proven this can happen. And their, their ignorance was, we can tell the world military leaders that, Hey, go ahead and tell everybody because there's no way anyone's going to use yeah. this power because it's so destructive. You're like, what the f- are you talking about? Like now they're just going to use it over and over again. So yeah, it was certainly ego. And then the regret was certainly married to that. Right. I mean, that was, you saw it like as the scientists became more and more successful, they're like, okay, we've achieved our goal, but what we've unleashed here, the potential is awful. And we need to tell a bunch of people about it. I think it's ego from beginning to end. It's the idea that you can create something like this. It's the arrogance of believing that creating something like this is a good idea. If you believe that an, that an ego is driven by fear, uh, it's all based on the fear of somebody else getting it first. I mean, ultimately, this argument that, well, gosh, should we have done this? Was it right to do it or not? Fuck it. Somebody was going to do it. And you get to, when you get to this, like we are, we've got to stand up for our nation. We're, we're threatened by foreign powers. You don't have a choice. You have to do it. All all of that comes together to me and the ego of these guys. And I think of the clash between Robert Downey Jr.'s character and Oppenheimer, 
you know, over the course of decades and where it leads both of those guys. To me, it was ego is what jumped out the most of all the obviously there's an Adam bomb in it. There's plenty of regret too, but um, <laughs> ego I thought was at the center of it. So what are your predictions for the sequel? <laughs> Um, it's going to be a long, long movie entitled the cold war. It's going to be like 17 hours long representing decades of cold war. I'm not even going to ask Chuck. Don't worry about it. I had an electric boogaloo joke all lined up. We're good. All right. Bourbon scale. Where are you at? Scale of one to five. How many bourbons is this one worth? Uh, to me, it's a four and a half, uh, excellent film. It's riveting. The cinematography is breathtaking. The score is fantastic. It's everything you want a Christopher Nolan movie to be. It's intense and constant throughout. And to me, uh, in a weird way, the, the film felt like a ticking of a time bomb. It was always leading to something bigger and bigger and bigger. And even after it happens, it's still leading to something bigger. Uh, so overall, an excellent film. I don't know how much rewatchability it has. Like I'd probably like to watch it at some <laughs> point again. But it, it, it's not a feel-good movie. It's it's not a popcorn summer blockbuster. Uh, and to me, this almost feels like, and I, I, I read it after I, I watched it, I kind of read a few things, and they, what I read was, was kind of right. This feels like this generation's almost JFK, right? Like, it, it has that same kind of feel at times mm. that, that JFK had, uh, even, even stylistically with the black and white and all that stuff. But overall, if you're a Christopher Nolan fan, uh, this movie is is right up your alley, even though it's it's tackling something a little bit different than Batman um, or Magicians or Tenant or whatever. It's it's yeah. an excellent film uh, that will that it's a wonderful experience that doesn't make you feel great, but it's still really good. On the scale, I'm going to give it a four. It's really good. It's such a good movie. It's it, you know unlike some of the other movies that I went and saw this summer. This was the longest runtime and I didn't feel like it was like I was into the story. It was just so well done. It's a great, it's a great film. It's not a fun film. And it's certainly in a long list of films that I've seen in my life that I'm glad I saw. And I don't know if I want to see it again, I, you know, kind of thing, but that's not to say it's not good. It's really good. It's just, do I want to invest that kind of time and, and what it makes, how it makes you feel into, into watching it. And I'll probably watch it a second time. Really good movie. There's not, there was not a slow, even though it's a, not a really action packed movie, there wasn't a slow part in the way the plot kind of like Chuck said, ticked along. Like it was really put together. Well, I enjoyed it. I was unlike some Christopher Nolan movies. I was never confused ever <laughs> and during the course of three hours. I'm like this is pretty good. <laughs> How was the Adam bomb movie? The yeah. simplest one that he made. <laughs> So I really, I really liked that he did that. I was like, this is really good. And I'm a huge fan of his other movies. I love the prestige, all the Batman movies, obviously Tenet and, and Inception and those kind of things. But yeah, it's, it's a really good movie. I'll give it a four on that scale for sure. I'm going with a four and a half. I really loved it. I come, I think a little bit biased as I'm a huge history nerd. So this kind of stuff is right up my alley. I really enjoy these like long kind of, I don't even know if this is a biopic or not, but um, I, I, I like this type of story. And so I really enjoyed this. I will say that for summer movie intensity, I, I think I felt more nerves before the actual test as they were doing that countdown that I did in any point of Mission Impossible. Well, it's strange because you know what's going to happen. You know, yeah. it works. Um, you know, the rest of the shit that happens too. 
but there's something about that moment of like holy shit these people are all standing here watching the moment when the world changes forever and there's not too many moments like that in our history and so that was that was kind of nerve-wracking i i really loved it top to bottom i thought it was a, a good story it was an interesting way to tell it to bounce from basically three different timelines and um i just really enjoyed it and i feel the same way you guys did like i wasn't ever like bored it didn't drag i didn't you know look at my watch like how much longer is this three hours going to take uh it was just interesting and exciting in a way that you don't expect a movie that is a its basis about physics you don't expect it to be that exciting so i really loved it did not feel great do not feel great part of me wishes this had never ever happened it is one of the defining moments of the world from that point going forward so none of that feels great so we're going to take our final break we're going to come back for the second end of our double header and things are going to be so much more fun because we're going to talk about some new music some of it good maybe some of it not <laughs> that came out this weekend <laughs> Welcome back, fellows, to our final segment, our second off the field. Let's wash off some of the bleak from Oppenheimer and talk some tunes. Welcome to From the Land, New Year's. On Friday, my release radar on Spotify was, I believe, the industry term is hopping. So <laughs> let's run through some of the good, maybe some of the not so good, maybe something in between with our new ears segment we're going to start in a wonderful place in my mind gaslight anthem and bruce springsteen released a song together called history books is this a gaslight bruce duet a gaslight song with bruce or a bruce song with gaslight i feel this is an unfair way to answer it because after i listened to it a shit ton i read a bunch about it and i i guess springsteen actually reached out to these guys and said write a duet write a duet for me. So I guess I'd have to lean towards it's a duet because if Bruce says it's a duet, then it's a duet. Well, I'll tell you, that's exactly my problem with it because I read that too and it yeah. doesn't seem like a duet it doesn't. to me. Chuck? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a song that Gaslight wrote and it fit somewhat Bruce's tone. So he wanted to be with him and end result's okay. It sounds great, but to me, it's more Gaslight than Bruce. You get the sense that they were not in the studio at the same time, right? Like a, a true duet, they would have yeah. been in the studio yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly my point. This was absolutely recorded in a way where Bruce could have done it like while he was touring, you know, with a yeah. mic set up just like this. He could have done it over Zoom with the <laughs> Gaslight Anthem and just and like done backs. his part. And <laughs> and in the running backs, yeah, he could have jumped right from that meeting to <laughs> Chubb and Saquon. Uh, um, so, yeah, it didn't feel at all like a duet. And it's definitely... Um, to me, it's definitely a gaslight song that that Bruce hops in on, which we see him doing a lot now. Like he has over the last few years appeared in a lot of different stuff. I think it's kind of the, that elder statesman of rock thing that he's doing. This is a precursor to Gaslight's new album coming out in October, which will be its first since Get Hurt in 2014. Does this song get you excited for the new album? Yes. Any song is going to get me excited for a new Gaslight album. I am a fan of this band. I have been for quite some time. Short of farting in a microphone for three and a half minutes. Wow. 
Jeez, that's, I'm, a, that's I'm, where we're at now. That's not where we're at. What bad. happens when we get to four segments? No, the wheels just no. come right off. Art <laughs> jokes are I'm coming out. I'm a fan of this band. I didn't know if I'd ever get anything else from this band, however many years ago, but now I'm getting something new. And the teaser is Bruce Springsteen sings on it, which is great because to me, they've always been an homage to Bruce Springsteen. So that's why I'm excited for it. Yeah, it gets me excited because anytime a, a good band goes away for nine years, you think, well, that's it, right? That's the list. We're not getting anything other than the best ofs or maybe a live version of this or that. So the fact that there's a new album coming out in a few months um, and this is the way they tease it, absolutely excited for it. Looking forward to our All Ears Gaslight segment. <laughs> I will tell you the only thing that makes me not that excited or maybe tempers my excitement some because I am super excited. I love the Gaslight Anthem great live band great songwriting but get hurt was probably their most produced album of what they've made and i think it makes it my least favorite and this song sounds really produced it doesn't sound as like gritty and edgy as like 59 sounded or something like that so i'm 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 excited of course i can't wait to hear it anything they put out is something i'm going to listen to but uh this doesn't sound like the sound that I like the most from those guys. Moving on, in the same vein somewhat. This weekend, we also listened to Dolly Parton cover We Are the Champions by Queen. Was this cover even remotely necessary? No, it wasn't necessary, but if our Queen gets to sing a classic from Queen, <laughs> like it, that's good. It's all good, man. Everything is fine. <laughs> it's a little too hard to cover a song like this, even for Dolly Parton. This is where I turn on Dolly and oh, say, no. oh, wow, man, give her a break. Enough, man. Like to me, it's a little, it's distasteful to queen. It, it's, this is an iconic song that every human walking this planet pretty much knows. If you've ever been to a sporting event from K through college through pro, you're hearing this song. It's so unnecessary for her to try to cover it. So it was, it wasn't my favorite on the list, but, I'm not excited to hear any more that she has off this album. If that's that, this is the indicator. We all love Dolly. She is a saint, but this, this was not necessary. Uh, <laughs> the transition from we are the champions to we will rock oh, you yeah. was absolutely <laughs> abysmal. Um, none of this was necessary. Scale of one to five, one being a golf ball through a frozen hose, five being getting every last drop out of an otter pop. How much did this cover suck? I'm assuming one would be the hardest to get that thing because uh, this thing sucked. I'm going one. Just to remain slightly respectful to end of the show, Dolly Parton, I'm going to put it at a 1.25. I'm at a one. This feels like Dolly trying to unnecessarily justify her place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She already deserved to be there. She doesn't need to do stuff like this. This was uh, a rare miss for one of our favorites in my mind. Moving on, we also listened to a new song by Dan Arbach from the Black Keys, Every Chance I Get. The lyrics include, Every chance I get, I want you in the flesh to rub you and hug you, my pet, every chance I get. Super romantic or super creepy? <laughs> Oh, well, that completely depends on who he's singing that yes. to, right? Yeah. That, that is 
That is impossible. I disagree. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think I could sing that to my wife and not come out creepy sounding. Man, you know, it's all, he's just longing to be with the love of his life, man. It's it's all good. But yeah, a little, little creepy the way the, the words come out. Yeah, it's a little creepy. And that's why I decided to just stay in the groove of the song and not so much dig into the verbiage or the lyrics. I'm on the super creepy side. I don't know who you're singing this to that it comes out okay. But am I on to something or am I on something? Did he rip off Son of a Preacher Man? You are on to something. The first time I heard it, I was like, man, I hope somebody's getting paid for this because this is no different than a hip-hop sample. You're basically lifting that guitar riff, um, maybe altering it slightly, but yeah, like that's why this song will sound instantly familiar to people who haven't heard it. It sounds like Son of a Preacher, man. Yeah, you're you're onto something. It was especially before he starts singing. You know, you're like that is this could be the lead into Son of a Preacher, man. Yeah, and we're just gonna see where this this song goes now. Um, so yeah, you're onto something for sure. All right, last one. We went a hip hop route. We listened to Motion off of Nas's new album. This song was produced by Hit Boy, whose real name is Chauncey Hollis Jr. Is Hit Boy the best Chauncey? Or is that title still held by Chauncey Depew, who played a game for the St. Louis Browns in 1915 and struck out in his only at bat? I put Chauncey Billups on that list. Yeah, there's right. one, one athlete <laughs> I know. He's right behind Depew. <laughs> uh, I didn't know Hit Boy's real name, but I'm going to say he's the best Chauncey because this man has brought out the best in Nas over the last four or five years. So he's my one Chauncey. Chauncey Billups is my two Chauncey and whoever the guy was who played one game is my three Chauncey. I like hit boy a lot. He, he's done a great job. I didn't know his name was Chauncey either. So how do I rank the Chaunceys? Uh, hit boy worked with logic too, I think a bunch. And, and, you know, so really he has a good track record in his field that Chauncey now Chauncey Depew. I don't know. He might've been really good for the St. Louis Browns. Is that who you said? Yep. So I'll, I'll put hit boy at one and all the other Chaunceys I've known in my life can fall in line after that. All the, all the others. There was a wide receiver at UD whose name was Chauncey. He was a good guy. Good guy. Good athlete. Nas has been it at this for almost 30 years. Is he still bringing it? Man, he's had, uh, yes. To answer your question, yes, he's still bringing it. He's had a bit of a kind of a resurgence of late. Like his last four albums, I'm going to say, maybe even five, but his last four albums have really been good. And what I love about him unlike a lot of the stuff we review on this show is they're like 38 minutes long. Like you just keep hitting, just go, just go, just go. One of my favorite hip hop artists. So I'm biased of all time, but that goes back to Illmatic and his early, his first couple albums were just amazing. But his last four have been really, really good. Even at his age. That's the exact question. Is he still bringing it? Is he still bringing it? Yes. It, it gives us hope, right? Cause this is a guy who's a few years older than us. Yeah. That's, why, why do we need hope we're bringing it because we're well i don't know if, if we don't have hope what do we have <laughs> we're bringing it like this uh arguably the greatest mc in hip-hop history who had a nice lull in the middle of his career and then you're talking about this four or five album run and i love this album uh, much like all the king's disease albums too uh that just proves like he can still really bring it if that's what the, that was the verbiage you're saying yes he can still bring it a level that 90 percent of hip-hop mcs cannot bring it excellent i am no nowhere near as knowledgeable about hip-hop as you guys are but i like the song motion a lot 
I really enjoyed it. And I will listen to the rest of that album. So of these four songs, which one was your favorite? Oh man. I knew you were going to ask me this and I kept thinking, I just got to put Dolly at one, right? No, it was <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I'm going to take motion out of the running in my mind for this reason. I listened to the whole album like four or five times and I really like the entire album. I really do. It's a great song. It's probably top three on the album. So of just the individual singles, a song that I kept going back to and listening to, I guess more than the other three by itself was uh, Gaslight and Springsteen. I really, I really like the, even though the, the the subject matter is again, maybe maybe it fell in line with Oppenheimer for the weekend. The subject matter is of, of sadness and and you know it wasn't a pick me up song for sure. So I think that was my favorite. If I had to choose one of the four, I basically had three number ones and one number four. <laughs> you had, you had to ask me. <laughs> one thousand percent fair. <laughs> Other than the Dolly song, I like all of them. The, the Nas thing to me, the reason when you said, what's the single? I don't know if there's a single, but it's rare where Nas gets an aggressive tone. And, and that's why this song stood out to me. And I really love it. I love the Gaslight song too. Uh, it feels like a familiar friend and I can't wait to hear more or see him again. Um, but maybe it's because the week and the mood. It, it the, the I like the Arbok song because it's catchy and easy and smooth. And maybe that's what I needed this week in my life. It just felt right at that time. It felt like sunshine. Uh, so not taking away from everything except Dolly. I could take everything away from that turd. But the Arbok song this week was <laughs> just, called Dolly a turd. No, the song's a turd. Dolly's an angel. Uh, the, Arbok, the Arbok song to me was just, it just felt right all week long. I'm with you on the Arbok song. Uh, that was my favorite one too. I, the, the Gaslight Bruce song combines two things that should make me love that one the most, but um, I love the guitar so much in the Arbok song. I think when you listen to it without paying too much attention to the lyrics, yeah. it's just like a good groove. It's just a good groove and it's a good time. And that was my favorite one. Um, but I'm probably going to dive into that Nas album later this week and listen to the entire thing because I didn't do that over the weekend. But fellas, four segments down for the first time ever. We are out of time. I am finally out of questions. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that over the weekend, the city of Cleveland turned 227 years old on the same day Tammy and I celebrated our 18th anniversary with that news that sharing the day with the land is the best present I've given Tammy since the time <laughs> I took her to a Springsteen movie on our anniversary oh, or the time I met that. Kenny Lofton on our anniversary <laughs> or the time I thought the anniversary was next weekend and found out it was two days ago. Anyway, I hope you guys have a great week and let's get together and do this again real soon. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. So are, are we going to review Barbie next weekend? Is Are we going to keep this streak going? Are we reviewing Barbie? <laughs> I mean, Here's I'm somebody in. can watch an HD, please. <laughs> no more yeah. cams. Go? So we should do the Wes Something. Anderson movie, right? It's like the Wes like Anderson movies. Barbie will be so vibrant and colorful and oh, it'll just be just <laughs> my TV. It'll just be muted. Terrible. Now let's pick something from last summer. There we go. Maverick. Top Gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Top exactly. Gun. <laughs> Do we feel any different about it?
Did you guys finish The Bear season two? I just got through episode six. I got through Forks and I was like, this is excellent again. Yeah. (laughs) I was about to say, man, like it is the the second half of season two is awesome. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. So I finish it, Curves. Well, I've done, I think six was Christmas. Yes. And then seven was Forks. Forks, And then um, I've, I watched six and seven. Six and seven were all six. I almost text you guys. I'm like, I, Think this so maybe, might, so might be the worst the hour of television and the best hour of television all at the same time. Isn't Forks where the whole yeah? That, that's not. Oh, no, no, no. Forks one? is Christmas. Forks yeah, is Christmas. Forks is Christmas. Oh wait, no, no, no. No, no. Forks is the seven next fishes. One. Seven fishes. It's the reason yeah, we think it's Forks. The reason we because he's throwing he's throwing forks. forks. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, not yeah. for okay. So I'm Forks I'm is next, that, and that's a great episode. Forks is a great swerve. I'm calling it Forks. It had to be no, no, no. Seven fishes, right? So, um. That one hour episode, the Christmas one, was like yeah. the most anxiety inducing oh, episode of television yeah. I can remember. Yeah. I'm like, oh God. It was uh I, I I would hesitate to say it's even the best episode of TV I've seen this year. Yeah. Because I think the episode of Succession where Logan died was better. Yeah. But fuck, it's up there. Like it, 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 it was is. that fucking good. Um, and I'll tell you what, like the Chuck, the next episode is almost as good. I think so. Uh, it, it, and, and even Good. like it, in a much, much different way, different way. but it's, totally I thought the episode way. after that, um, I teared up in the episode, episode eight was I've never teared up in the bear. And I teared, I teared up in forks. I did, man. It's like, about I, time. They hit that milestone yeah. for that show. Make <laughs> well, that it's a cry. low bar. It's a low bar. It doesn't, it doesn't take much. Yeah. The guardians made me cry tonight too. So I don't know what that's. <laughs> oh man. It's, I was so glad that season two, yeah, turned out the way it did. Like this, the yeah. latter half is so good. I don't understand why they had to make the first half shitty <laughs> just to make the second half so fucking good. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. But um, absolutely, we were talking about the Christmas episode. Yeah, like the the cast is just so amazing. Oh yeah, like man. out of nowhere, you yeah. know, like fucking. Do they exist um, after that episode or no? Some, some of them. Yes. Okay, yes, yeah. No, I haven't. Oh, you you're not done with the season yet, so I won't ruin no. it then. So yes. how many episodes are in the season? Ten. Ten. All right. Ten. We got two more. Man, we'll probably finish this like tomorrow night. Like it was oh man. I almost forgot to tell you guys. Happy anniversary, I, by the way, girl. Oh hey, thank you. Um that was hilarious. We spent the entire weekend thinking it was our 17th anniversary. <laughs> and then we were at dinner last night. And we did the math. We're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got married in 2005. This has to be 18 years now. Hey, we just gained another year. It's nice. incredible. <laughs> um, talked to my parents yesterday. And for the first time in a really long time, my dad told me that he was really mad at me. And I'm oh. like, why? Like, why? He's like, I've got a bone to pick with you. I'm like, what did I do? Yeah. Um, he's mad at me for suggesting they watch Succession. Because oh, no. they they hate all the characters, but they can't turn it off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. Yeah, that's and the greatest just... reason he could ever be mad at you, right? Yeah. Like that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Um, and they just finished the night before. It says they're doing like two episodes a night. Um, they just finished season three the night before, which means that last night they were probably starting, um, the final season. Final season. I I suspect I will get a call the day after they watch the episode (laughs) where Logan dies. I think we'll uh 
record that call. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Put that on an outtake. I don't ask it. So I'll ask it now. If this is a head to head actors battle, who won? Cillian Murphy or Robert Downey Jr.? I don't know. They they both did such a good job, man. Like they really did. Cillian Murphy, though, like that, I don't know. That's hard. I, I like both. I wrote them both down. It's like these guys just acted yeah. out of like out of their asses, like yeah. both of those guys. Yeah. Like that was awesome to see. Pick a winner. All right. I will go with Robert Downey Jr. because it wasn't Iron Man. Huge course correction for his acting uh, career. Yeah. <laughs> Not that he was great as Iron Man. He is Iron I Man. I love him as Iron Man. Yeah. I'm, I would say Downey Jr. too because that was it was a chance to remind me how great of an actor he yeah, really yeah. is yeah i would have gone with downey jr too in part um because i mean in no small part because he was just fucking incredible yeah but there's something to there there is a lot of um tommy shelby from yeah in, yeah. in that character. Yeah, blinders oppenheimer. in yeah. oppenheimer it's that same yeah. kind of like very like guilt-ridden egotistical genius that rules don't apply to in shelby and in oppenheimer there were times i'm like gosh this is just tommy shelby without the accent you know um and that's that's not entirely fair because he was he was tremendously good um and he wore all of the burden that that dude yeah, had yeah. to fucking walk around. He did a great job. He wore it like extremely well. Um, but but what offset that for me is like he wore that that guilt so well. But Downey Jr.'s like paranoia, like yeah. especially towards the end, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was just yeah. like, I could feel it. it was it, so good all yeah. around. Excellent. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I almost text you guys in the middle of the movie, but I, I decided not to flip my phone over. We had already like, been in bed for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I figured you'd get it in the morning. Well, yeah. Chuck was Chuck. I'm was, up. Chuck was I'm probably up. still up. Yeah. I'm like, I just I just Those saw, kids still keeping you up, Chuck. <laughs> yes. I just saw Tommy Shelby and Iron Man and Jason Bourne fight it out on the screen at the same yeah. time. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. Damon was Damon was really good too. He was great. Um, Everything was, was so really good. good. I thought Casey was, Affleck was great, even Casey though he was, was good. Yeah. He was kind of the same. He still came across as like mm-hmm. a huge psychopath, even though he was still yeah. the same dude. Yeah. He was good. Uh, even like like Josh Hartnett, like pull him, yeah. like does that Crazy. dude off. Yeah, see like that he, dude. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to figure out who that was. I'm like, I know this is somebody who was like super good looking in movies. Lucky number seven. Ago, but like, you've never yeah. seen that Slevin. movie. Run to see that movie. The polka dot guy from. Suicide Squad oh, yeah, yeah, was yeah, great yeah. in it too. <laughs> yeah, that polka dot guy. I don't even know who that was. That's hilarious. <laughs> but we're gonna get to it now. You guys right. are yeah. starting getting I'm into. Um, you're starting to get into my shit. All okay. right. You got a okay. note about the polka dot guy from Suicide Squad? <laughs> yeah. No, not exactly. Because I don't even know who that was. So I didn't see that movie. But <laughs> just shut your mouth. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> Um, how do um, how do both of you how like both of your guys how do your kids handle like thunderstorms right now? Chip is he kind of goes oh, I hear thunder. <laughs> That's about it. 
uh, uh Charlie is Charlie's so completely oblivious to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I thought he'd be because he mentions it a lot, and I'm like, oh, maybe he's a little anxiety about it, but mostly he's kind of just excited when he hears it. That's he awesome. Yeah, he hasn't woken up in the middle of the night or yeah, like nothing like that. But he also hasn't had one of those. I mean, he's three now. There hasn't been one of those like thunderstorms where lightning hits and your house kind of shakes with the Thanks. thunder. Yeah. There hasn't been yeah. one of those yeah. yet. So I'm yeah. waiting for that one. Yeah, my kids have been all right with them. Like they um short of like what Chuck just described, where there's that like one one thunder crack that is like, oh my God, what's happening yeah. right now? Yeah. Other than that, they either sleep through them or the ones the ones that occurred these last few days were all during the day, like during the daylight, day, you know. So yesterday they were out playing in it, you know, just run around yeah. in the rain. I'm like, okay, they're, they're good with it. But yeah, they don't, uh, they, even, even when they were younger, they, they weren't really too scared of, there was never a thunderstorm that occurred where they got out of bed, you know, like, yeah, I, I yeah. got, yeah. So how do your kids handle? love them? <laughs> they don't call you you know we never had no no for not at all really definitely not during a thunderstorm um we never really had them you know in vegas like we get monsoons in the summer um get a ton of rain in a really short period of time we get like a bunch of flooding but never really not never never any thunderstorms and we had some we had a couple of really big ones the first year we were here um, where, I mean, like there was one that knocked out power for three days in town. Like, oh, wow. That's a bad thunderstorm, yeah. you know, like that, yeah. that, that's a lot of damage that there was like a tornado touchdown um, east of here about a half an hour. So, I mean, so there's stuff like that, but um, really the last couple of years, it hasn't been too bad, but this dog, like if it rains, this dog like flips out. It's like, come on, man, it's just raining that's not even thunder it's not lightning like come on calm yourself don't let back. that cry baby back into your office yeah, don't, <laughs> <laughs> out here cry baby oh i love it God. how long has bryce harper been playing first base he's like two games i'm like he's Friday. a fucking yeah. stud like, yeah. it was ridiculous. first game ever was against the yeah. guardians yeah and that phenomenal. was the thing about that that game on sunday in there was just a lot of like weird events that happened during the game but there were there were five times i counted where the guards absolutely crushed a ball right at somebody and one of them was that ball to to harper where he turned around he tags ramirez and you you get an inning that was six inches away from blowing up um ends with this shitty fluky double play um, just a lot of like it, what, weird well, calls at the plate they had the was that the one with the balk yeah they the balked in a run, run. Yeah, yeah in the first, yeah. first run yeah yeah, yeah. weird they out, uh, the, the weirdest stat they out homered them three to nothing and still lost yeah they lost One of the summer hot takes was almost about the fact that I think on Thursday I pulled up ESPN.com. You know how in the upper right corner they have like their top headlines? Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the top headlines was who will be the number one pick in the NFL's 2024 draft? I'm like, 
How can there be so fucking little <laughs> happening in sports that a top headline, not just like a, Hey, if I click on the NFL page and I click on the draft yeah, page, no. it takes me to this. How is it one of the top stories today in sports who mm. will be drafted? Number one, more than a year from now. <laughs> Fuck you. We, st- we still don't know who has that pick. So how could you even, <laughs> yeah, like, it, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh man. Blah, blah. All right. 1233. All right, we did all right, guys. Good, good job. Yeah, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Four segments. Well, good. Yeah. Might want to think about four segments every week. Or good we'll luck see. with that. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I want to do I don't that. Know. For, for football season, four quarters in a game, oh, four God. segments. Uh, of the show. Well, every sport has. We could do nine innings. We could do nine oh, segments. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> How many stages of the Tour de France are there? We should do that. Ah, uh, fuck. Apparently that just ended. Huh? Yeah. Didn't that just yeah. end? Yeah. Yeah, and the Lance dude only Armstrong won 500 won. grand. It's <laughs> Armstrong one. It's an amazing comeback. As far as Greg, I could. Greg Luganis won. Yeah, you could. Don't bring Greg Luganis into that. He wasn't <laughs> doping. Anyway. Sure? All, right. All right. Stop doing this to me. Okay. okay. <laughs> I love you guys. Love, right. you. love you too. See you guys soon. Have a great night, boys. Good night. Right. See you. Funny. Funny like a clown? You didn't use you?